versus like now where it's like this is my outlet this is like me this is where I find myself decompressing and just letting everything go Hello again, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here at the Wisdom of the Wilderness podcast. I am your host, Greg, and as always on this podcast, we are here to share wisdom gained from time spent in nature with a dose of inspirational and empowering stories of everyday people moving through uncharted territory, both literal and figurative. I am grateful you have chosen to spend part of your time today with me, listening to cool things and cool people. And uh, without any further ado, let's get to this week's episode. Hey, all right, friends, we're back with another episode of Wisdom of the Wilderness. And just like episode 111 with Megan, I am recording outside. Trying a new way of doing things. I am sitting in Sedona. I am facing the sunshine in the back of my truck, enjoying a nice Aravipa beer. Papago, Desert Sage, Orange IPA. Y'all should try it. Uh, it tastes like the desert. It tastes amazing. But anyways, uh, so this is actually going to be kind of a personal episode because I attempted a 100-mile ultramarathon on Saturday, the 5th of November, in, in New Mexico. And... There's a lot of stuff I learned. I learned a lot of stuff the hard way. But I wanted to share it because maybe someone out there is at the point of wondering if they can run a mile or two miles. Or maybe you're doing your first 5K or 10K. Uh, 100 miles seems absolutely insane. And to some degree, it is. But also, I think there's a deeper element of ultra running where it's challenging yourself. And it becomes less about... It's a physical and it's a mental challenge. It's not so much something crazy as a, can I do this? Can I physically do this? Can I mentally do this? Do I have what it takes? Uh, And um, it's very hard to say that I didn't. I failed at what I attempted to do. And there's been a lot of pondering about that, but I don't want to talk about that now. Uh, What I'll do is go through the play-by-play of what happened, or as best my recollection serves me. Because a lot of the things in life uh, that I have experienced have been, there's no playbook for it. You're just in a situation and then kapow, this happened. How do you deal with it? Hey, this is happening. How do you deal with it? So it's very curious that as someone who's a planning major in grad school to go to the complete opposite and not really plan a heck of a lot, like not even know exactly where I'm going to stay tonight, that's okay. But it takes a huge degree of trust in the universe, trust in oneself, and a mentality to, to wing it, to figure it out, to, to know that you're capable and confident to do that. I think that shows up a lot in ultramarathons because how on earth do you predict any of the many things that may happen or may go wrong before you get to the start line, during the race, after the race, anything like that? So as best we can, this is my recollection because I ended up being up for 30-something consecutive hours. Um, yeah, so uh, we're just going to start it off. So my race was in New Mexico, this beautiful area in roughly northwestern New Mexico. Uh, Dead Man Peaks, you also check it out. I plan to be there next year and get my buckle when I finish. But, uh, so I drove from Arizona, and lo and behold, issues only coming to me, um, I had messed up the time zone. So I set my alarm to the wrong time zone, which was an hour behind, which became important because when I... was ready or planning to be at the start line at 5.45 and I had set my alarm to go off at 4.30 so I had over an hour to get ready, to get warm 
uh, to be prepared. My alarm actually went off and um, at half an hour to be ready. And I was kind not kind of, I was unprepared for that. Um, didn't really eat breakfast. I made myself scarf down a banana very quickly. I made myself have some water, so uh, underfueled to start the race. Uh, it had also gotten way colder than I expected. I had seen the forecast in the 20s Fahrenheit. I don't have the mental capacity to, to perform that calculation in my head right now. We'll say like the between 0 and minus 10 Celsius, somewhere like that. Um, that was colder than I expected. So I got up out of the truck. My truck was covered in frost. I was a half hour behind. And I had left some stuff to do in the morning, uh, race day. It was a bad idea. And uh, yeah, that stuff didn't actually happen. So I'd had a great tip from my friend Lindsay to take my poles. I did not get around to getting my poles out of the back of the truck. That's important for uh, coming up later on. Uh, second thing, it was cold. I was not expecting that cold. I had figured out, tried to figure out as best I could where to put stuff for the drop bags. And if you're unfamiliar with ultra running, uh, over this incredible distance, you do not carry everything with you. You sometimes do, uh, but there are aid stations and you can send a little bag or duffel bag or something with stuff that you can use there. So I was trying to plan that out based off if we start at six, I should be here around this time, here around this time, here around this time. Where do I put my headlamp? Do I just carry it with me? Where should I put some warmer clothes? Where should I put change the socks? Uh, I only have two pairs of shoes, so do where do I put them and how do I play that? Uh, where do I put extra socks? Um, should I send extra food? Should I send some non-alcoholic beer? Should I send some V8 juice? It was all these different questions and uh, a lot of it was unknown. So um, I was trying to manage that. I needed to pin my um, bib onto my shorts, which became a disaster and I stabbed myself. Uh, lost feeling in my hands, which was really not good, but I was prepared in that I had bought a 10-pack of hand warmers at Walmart the day before. But, um, yeah, so I was pretty cold. I was, uh, moseying around, and then I remembered I didn't have my poles, and I went to go get my poles, and then I lost my truck keys, which is kind of a bad thing, because I was out there by myself. So, no truck keys means no driving truck, and I had locked the front of the truck, and I hoped the keys weren't in there. Basically, I was a hot mess at about 6 o'clock when the race was going to start. Um, didn't have time to get my poles, and then my tailgate locked and froze on me, so I couldn't even open the tailgate to get into where they were. Um, so I started the race with no warm-up, basically no food but a banana, uh, a 10 to do 100 miler. And, um, yeah, that was a start. Uh, but it went okay. Um, you know, everybody's pretty laid back. It's a fairly small race, so... Very different from where I had been the weekend before, which is one of, if not the largest, 100-miler in North America. And uh, just got started off. Um, headlamp was up. Uh, despite having absolutely no warm-up, I felt pretty good over the first few miles. Um, just kind of let myself settle into a decent pace and was somewhere in the middle. And, uh, yeah, and all of a sudden, starting at 6, it started to get light. And then way faster than I expected, the 10-mile aid station showed up. And I was like, holy hallelujah. I haven't really eaten that much. I haven't really drank that much. But uh, I am feeling pretty good. And now I'm starting to get hot because it was no longer 24 degrees. The sun was up and the wind was up. And I realized this is incredible scenery that I'm seeing out here. Uh, now, spoiler alert, I took no photos of the race. Um, I was going to try and document as much as I could, have video, have phone... And that didn't happen. I ended up just trying to focus on appreciating the scenery, being in the moment. 
now when I did get to aid stations, we got some photos, we made some hilarious videos. You can check out Instagram at cactus moose, all one word. There's some great stuff from the aid station and from some new, new friends that I made out there. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was that. I wasn't particularly ready, but I got my snacks. I stocked up at the aid station. I ended up talking about why I'm carrying two phones, which is a long story on its own, and then uh, getting back on it. And I wanted to make the, the race fun, and I wanted to do it uh, as much as I could on my own. So while I had taken my earbuds and left them at the first aid station, along with my, um, what do you call it, battery bank, uh, I did not use them. I did not even put them in my pack. So I just walked along, and then about mile 16, I came up on another runner, and uh, just I was like, hey, you mind if I jog with you for a while and uh, chat? And that was great. We ended up doing a significant chunk of the next uh, 35 miles together. Thir 30 miles together for sure, pretty much. Um, but yeah, that, that was pretty good. I uh, got up to the, you know, chatted with her. She had dropped her glove. Uh, I gave her my gloves. Um, just kept going, chatting about life, chatting about all kinds of fun things, uh, adventures, experiences, places to go, what we do, uh, her family. Uh, where I'm from, where she's from. Just, it was a lot of fun, and it was really down-to-earth. And I think that's something that maybe gets lost or that we're really missing in society today is having those personal connections with people because, you know, you, you get to know people pretty fast if you're doing something like this. And the people that I've met through the trail community, but especially the ultra-running community, tend to be more open, and they know it, and you're going to have all parts of your psyche or all parts of your spirit, your soul, exposed when you are doing something like this. And it was just immediate, like, super motivating conversation um really engaged me so a gigantic thank you out there to sophie um, that was a lot of fun miles just chatting shuffle pacing uh climbing over rocks hanging out at aid stations it was really really fun um but okay so that was that i uh, got to the halfway point and was like wow i'm actually feeling pretty good uh, i changed my socks no, I didn't change my socks. I uh, cleaned my feet off, which were doing really good. I was really surprised at how well my feet held up. I was surprised how well my legs held up. Uh, said thank you to all the aid station volunteers. Uh, I really got hooked on quesadillas on this race. Uh, now, if you're unfamiliar, um, usually at aid station, there's water. There's some type of electrolyte beverage. There's all kinds of different candy. There's sweet snacks. There's potato chips. There's salty snacks. Um, and this one had... All these ones had quesadillas, and that is all I wanted. I found that I really didn't want candy. I've been having some basically electrolyte gummy bears. Um, really didn't taste good to me. Uh, I had a lot of electrolyte beverage. That was good. I was drinking water and electrolytes pretty consistently, but I had pretty much no appetite. And this is a little unusual because, remember, I had basically nothing to eat for breakfast. Um, but I was able to get myself to eat quesadillas and I really was craving quesadillas also because they were warm and I was still kind of cold. Um, got to the halfway station and turned around and started making our way back. And it seemed to take a lot longer on the way back. And this course, it was a 25 mile or 26 and a half mile out and back. So 53 miles for the out and back. And then if you're doing the 100 that I was, it's uh, 106 miles. So, uh, that's pretty intense. Um, got to be afternoon, got to be more, um, a little bit later, uh, ended up, uh, following Sophie and then, uh, she was doing much better than me. And, uh, I just ended up kind of walk, kind of walking in the last 
six or seven miles from from the last aid station back to the start. Um, I could see her most of the time, but I was trying to to manage and conserve things, and I'd started to feel some pains in my body. I wanted to manage that. Uh, it started to get dark, but the sunset was absolutely beautiful. And if you've not been in New Mexico, you need to go because the sunsets are gorgeous. The high desert is amazing. Uh, just a place that that's really near and dear to my soul. The food's also amazing. Um, so to have quesadillas and southwestern food, it was very, very happy. Um, and then gradually I started slowing down and slowing down more. And the pain in my body was more. And I almost talked myself into quitting at the halfway point. But I was like, no, you came all the way down here to do this. You're never going to know unless you try. You have to give it everything. And I want to leave everything that I have out there. So I get to the the start finish. And uh, this is where I really appreciated all of all. I mean, I appreciated the volunteers all along. But this is where it really came into play for me. How much these people care and how much they're putting out there. And... I have volunteered a lot at different uh, endurance events. That's the only ones I really do. And it's been a very long time since I'd done anything that resembled having any type of support, like 20 years. Um, So it was a little bit overwhelming for me to have so many people be like, how can I help you? What can I get you? And uh, when I got to the aid station, I had not prepared as well adequately for the temperatures I was experiencing and how long it had taken me. So it got cold. It got darker it got dark and it got cold and i did not have the gloves i had not left lay um heavier clothing in my aid station bag i had it all at the start finish line so i started to get cold and i as i approached the start finish line i was getting towards mild hypothermia i was cold and shaking um so when i got into the aid station i couldn't actually use my hands and i forget the volunteer's name but Someone came up to me and asked, like, hey, like, what can I help you with? And I was like, can't use hands. Please give water. Like, I was kind of out of it at that point. Um, I needed calories for sure. And um, that's what happened. And then there was a swarm of people around me just uh, like, what can we get you? What can you do? What do you want to eat? And it was really a, need- or a strange experience for me. I knew mentally I needed to eat, and I had no physical appetite. I'd done 53 miles of this course. And uh, one would think that you would be extremely hungry. And I had absolutely no appetite. To the point, I don't recall what I actually ate at that aid station. I know I got a quesadilla, and I looked around at candy, didn't look appetizing. I had a cup of bone broth. That was pretty good, mostly because I was cold and had a lot of salt in it. So that was good. I was Again, I was really craving salty stuff, nothing at all sweet. It just kind of turned me off. Uh, and there was a heater. So I sat in front of the heater. And there's a great volunteer whose name is Amanda uh, that came over to see what she could do to help. And I was like, I need my pole. I want my poles from my truck. And uh, the one glove that had been dropped, I was trying to make a matching set. And I was like, I know I have a left glove in the back of my truck. We could make a matching set. And then I'd be okay with thicker gloves because the ones I have are too thin. And even with hand warmers, I would get cold. Uh, So uh, they were quite insistent I not I should stay by the heater. So I sat by the heater and this wonderful volunteer took my truck keys and rummaged around the back of my truck trying to find stuff for me, which I greatly appreciate. So thank you, Amanda. Um, Eventually found them and came back to the aid station. I was still, by this point, I decided, you know what? I'm at the aid station. Cool. Once I get some food and stuff in, might as well go back out. 
And uh, then it became kind of a disaster trying to layer myself. And first I put my vest on and then I put my rain jacket on, wind windproof rain jacket on. And I was like, oh wait, no, I need a puffy jacket. So I'd take my vest off and then go get the puffy and then come back. And in the process of being discombobulated and talking to people and not really paying attention to what I needed to be paying attention to, uh, I caught my jacket on fire. So that was fantastic. And my lovely Patagonia Nano Puffy uh, now has a giant, like, really cool, um, basically a Warscarch ink blot uh, all along the left arm and exposed uh, uh, synthetic fibers everywhere because I caught it on fire in the aid station. So that was less than ideal. Again, um, another runner came in, cool bearded dude named Cliff, and uh, he was getting a beer. And he's like, you should get a beer. I was like, why not? I will get a beer. What could go wrong? At this point, I'm already hurting. Might as well have a beer. So I did that. And I spent an hour at that aid station, but eventually I was like, you know what? I got to get out and keep going. Uh, I got 10 hours to make 26 and a half miles to the next, to, to the far end point of the course. So <clears throat> I think I can do it. I might as well keep going. So I did. And I started off and I was doing pretty good. I was walking quickly, slow, shuffle pace, jogging, um, doing pretty well, I thought. And I made it few miles and then the pain started to set in and I noticed uh, my left leg had started to bug me a while before and uh, the knee was getting kind of swollen and I know it's not the knee it's tight muscles and it's just stuff I haven't made a focus or priority to do my PT exercises and do stuff so the mental part was hard because I was like oh my body's doing this why didn't I not do those exercises all of the days I could have done those exercises good work dude um, the knee was starting to bug me. I was managing to manage it. And then I stepped awkwardly and hyperextended my knee, and that was awkward. Um, and then my left Achilles started bugging me, so I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of hobbling. And I um, had been compensating for that. So then my right psoas and hip flexor really started bugging me. And it was screaming. And that was really uncomfortable. But I was like, I've only got X amount of miles to go. I can do it. I know I can pretty confident I can walk that fast to get to the turnaround and walk back but I was slowing down and it was going to be pretty painful and uh in the first nine nine-ish mile section of the course um there's one technical descent and the first eight miles of the course were kind of kind of level up and down rolling it's beautiful single track double track uh you're exposed you're on slick rock um you're on sand it's a very diverse course it's beautiful and I got to the technical part, and I was starting to get ready to go down. And I put my weight onto my left leg, and I couldn't bear any weight without extreme pain. And I collapsed. And then I had a decision to make. Because the next aid station was only about between a mile and two miles down a significant technical climb. And the start-finish was eight miles back, where I had just come. And by that point, I couldn't really, I could bear weight on my left leg, but it was at the point of just collapsing at any point. And it was a really hard decision for me to make the decision to turn around. Um, that was really rough. It's still rough to talk about it right now. But to make that decision to turn around, and I know I'm justifying everything right now. I failed at what I attempted to do. Um, it was based on the experiences I've had 
performing first aid in in situations and from the wilderness first responder training i have and knowing i'm in an area with no cell phone service i'm by myself in the dark um i'm getting cold my coordination's not great if something happens to me now somebody may or may not see me uh the next runner that would pass me i don't know if they would see me or hear me um with how much i was exerting and how cold it gets in the desert uh hypothermia is a real risk and I ended up deciding I would walk back to the start line rather than attempt to keep going on that chance. If something happened to me, the rescue would suck. And there was a, depending on what happened, there was a legit chance that uh, it might be the end. Um, and that was a really tough decision because I had put a lot into this endeavor and preparing mentally for it. And I still feel mentally I could do it. Um, but physically, I couldn't take that chance on my leg. Couldn't do it. Um, so I turned around and I crawled through the desert for about a half mile, uh, trying to get up strength or at least bite, grind my teeth enough uh, to get up. And eventually I did, and it hurt a lot. <clears throat> um, and I managed to hobble my way back um, about eight miles. Probably the slowest I've ever walked. Uh, I took a lot of stops. I actually uh, collapsed on the desert and cried for a while. Um, but I ended up being okay. And then I can be here recording the podcast. And it's really hard for me to even think about the, the what ifs of, hey, I could have made it down that climb. And if I had that climb, that would have been a huge morale boost to keep going. Um, I also could have just as easily gone down that climb, lost my balance, or, you know, had my leg give out at a bad spot, and I hit my head on a rock. Um, uh, a, a bone snaps. Um, you know, I fall and can't get up, or I'm stuck, and hypothermia is there. So, it's tough, and it's, it's also excuses, but it's, it's tough knowing that, you know, I was the one that made the decision to, to turn around, and... Um, walk back. Um, and I did. And that was, that was okay. Uh, I texted the race director once I could get a little bit of signal on my phone. Just said like, hey, bib 27, um, turning around. And I helped him my way back. Um, and my friend uh, Jennifer, my old coworker, had texted me um, a couple times with words of encouragement because she'd done her first 100 miler the week before. And I was there and got to see her. Um, so I was reading those texts and uh that was kind of hard but that was a little bit of motivation to to keep going um and what she suggested was you know stop at some point during the race and turn off your headlamp and just appreciate the desert in the dark so even though i had very questionable legs at that point and was very heavily relying on my trekking poles um I walked about half of that eight miles back in the desert, in the dark, without a headlamp. It's close to the full moon. Um, I'm recording this on the 8th. It actually is the full moon today. There's ceremonies all over Sedona here. Um, but I had that. I just walked through the desert thinking about another time I did that in the dark. And that was a really transformative experience for me. Uh, a lot of personal stuff came up I'm not going to share. Um, a lot of mental stuff came up. Um, 
a lot of a lot of what ifs but i made it back and i'm okay uh, and i got back and at three o'clock in the morning i sat down in a chair beside the race director and uh, we chatted for about an hour and i was questionably coherent for most of it i remember i was starting to lose my voice um and I had some food, uh, ended up having a beer because at that point, why not? And um, just really appreciated the support and the kindness of all the volunteers who were out there, all the people that gave up a good chunk of their weekend to drive to the middle of nowhere and set up an aid station with skeletons doing fun things in the dark and having music and making quesadillas to order and just having fun. Um, I really appreciate everybody who took time out of that to make an experience that I could have, and um, it hurts that I wasn't able to finish it. But it means a lot that I was able to go and see most of those people when they came back um, and say thank you in person and give people hugs and high fives and, and all of that. Because, you know, in an endeavor like this, there is the element of yourself, but there's also a lot of support from people you may have never met before and may never see again. And that's really important because, you know, when we extend that out to our lives, Sometimes the exact words you need to hear might be something you catch in a conversation with passersby or you see on a billboard as you drive through Kingman, Arizona or a friend texts you out of the blue right when you need it. So that was that was a lot. Um, ended up trying to stay up for a bit and just being exhausted. So I walked back to my truck and couldn't even climb into the back to sleep. <laughs> I uh, managed to ambulate myself into the front seat and just recline and try to sleep, which kind of happened. Um, but it was important to me to stay to the finish and see everybody finish. And I really didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> and nowhere better to be but at that finish line. So I stayed. I talked to the race director again. I made some new friends. Um, drank a lot of water. Drank a lot of tailwind, electrolyte. Uh, had a couple more quesadillas. Had some hash browns. Uh, and in doing something smart and trying to just get a little bit of water and just rinse my face off, uh, dropped my phone into the dishwater. That was fantastic. Uh, and if you may have guessed, I was totally on fire. I was a hot mess for most of this race um, and still managed to get almost three quarters of the way there. So there's something to that. Um, but it was really powerful to, <clears throat> to go through all that I had and then to sit there at the finish line and wait for the people who had finished who had gone through everything to get to the finish line and to cheer for them and clap for them and cry with them as they got a lot of their first 100-mile buckle. Um, less than half the people who started finished this race. Um, but it was really cool. It was really powerful. And I wanted to share this experience that I had because the people that were out there, there were no sponsored athletes. There was nobody getting paid to do it. It was people doing it to challenge themselves and to see what they've got. And I find that really inspiring and inspirational and to see people from all walks of life, all professions, all body shape sizes doing it. There was one dude who'd done a 100-miler at Javelina where I was the weekend before and did another 100-miler. Cliff, you're awesome. Um, congratulations to people who got their first buckles. And a big thank you to the, the race director, Eric, and all the other volunteers I met out there. Met out there. Um, it was fantastic. And it really reminded me of the power of community and how sometimes we think we're not doing too much by, you know, helping our friend do dishes one day or going for a walk when they're, when they're sad or volunteering at a race or 
giving a smile to somebody at the supermarket, those small acts of kindness can have a really big impact. And what's going to stick with me is the smiles on the faces of volunteers. Um, seeing a little little girl, I don't know, somewhere under eight, clapping and cheering as I got into the last aid station on the way back to the start-finish line, and that was really motivating. And it had been a, a rough little patch before that, and just to see somebody clear, like, hey, how can I help you? What can I do? That really made a big difference. Um, and you can probably tell I'm about to cry for most of this episode, but it, it really is, and it, it's powerful. So whether or not you're drawn to running at all, whether or not you think I'm crazy, batshit crazy, literally, um, maybe that's something you want to do is see how you can give back to your community or connect with friends and, and be of service to a friend or to a family member or to someone out there who might need a little bit of help or even smile at the cashier at the grocery store. Talk to the cashier at the grocery store. Because while I was sitting there last night after I'd had a lot of body work done and released a lot of the tension, not some of the tension in my lower body from this endeavor, uh, the grocery store cashier that I went to just to get some bananas and fruit and veggies, uh, she's one of the most positive people I've ever met at a grocery store. Hey, how are you doing? Tell me a story about this. And lo and behold, I was showing her photos and videos of what I did last weekend at Javelina. So... You never know when that little spark of kindness can be there. And if there's anything I would hope we can all agree on after a few years of weirdness, it's that we can all be more kind and compassionate and that kindness and compassion really can change the world. All right, I'm going to do my best not to cry. Or maybe I will cry when I'm done recording. I don't know. But that's that. So that, that's my race. That was, uh, that was what happened. Um, pretty hot mess for most of it. I failed at what I wanted to do, but I learned a lot and I know I'm going to go back and I know one day I will get that buckle for doing a hundred miles and who knows, maybe somebody out there, this will inspire them, maybe not. And, uh, maybe I'll see some of y'all out there next year because, uh, I got a thing for the desert if you hadn't noticed and, uh, that's where I'm going to be coming. All right, friends until next week. Uh, with whatever we bring up next week, we are going to have some more of this, not quite as cold as it was, Desert Sage IPA inspired by the Aravipa Trail Runners at McDowell Mountain. And I uh, want to send a big thank you out to those Aravipa people because, uh, yeah, y'all are awesome. As well as everyone out at Dead Man Peaks. Thank you. All right, friends, we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Wisdom of the Wilderness Podcast. And thank you very much for joining me on today's episode, friends. It is always fun for me to record these, and I do hope you get a lot out of them. As always, if you enjoyed this, please share with your friends, your family members, your colleagues, your coworkers, your hairdresser, the guy at the restaurant, uh, wherever you're going. I do my best to research these and give a lot of good information, and there's a lot of people out there that can benefit from hearing the stories and also having that perspective shift that can come along with, with listening. As well, if you get a chance, I do encourage you. It really helps me out if you can leave a five-star review at the podcast platform you're listening to, as well as maybe even write something. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance, please do that. I prefer Apple Podcasts is how I listen to things, but I know that uh, Stitcher's out there, Spotify's out there, Google Play or Google Podcasts, there's a whole bunch of them. So if you get a chance, please do drop a five-star rating and leave a review. That would be fantastic. And with that, have a wonderful day, friends. We will catch you on the next episode of The Wisdom of the Wilderness.